Well, I invite your uh, reverent attention to Psalm 64. Psalm 64. As we give uh, heed to the Holy Word of God this morning, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 64. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity, who have sharpened their tongue like a sword. They aimed, their, they aimed bitter speech as their arrow to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who can see them? They devise injustices, saying, we are ready with a well-conceived plot, for the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. But God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded, so they will make him stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake the head, then all men will fear and will declare the work of God and will consider what he has done. The righteous man will be glad in the Lord and will take refuge in him, and all the upright in heart will glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gotta be me, it's always me. There you go. It's always a microphone. So we all uh, know Christmas as a uh, as a time of uh, deliverance. Uh, we come to celebrate the birth of our Redeemer, that He delivers us from guilt and uh, sin, and uh, begins uh, deliverance from the effects of it. Uh, and our psalm this morning, Psalm 64, is an illustration uh, of deliverance that all of us uh, need. It's uh, expressed in a, uh, a concept of uh, the world that makes war with Christians, and so we need, uh, obviously, deliverance. Uh, and the war that is uh, affected against us is meant spiritually to destroy us. We know that from the presence of the evil kingdom, but the evil kingdom has many agents that uh, attempt to destroy the church. And David is going to give us an expression of his own deliverance as he complains uh, to God about the dangers of uh, what he confronts. And we find that in verses 1 to 6. And then he acknowledges something that really is a beautiful expression of deliverance, namely that God uh, conducts a counteroffensive of those who wage war with his people. And then David praises God for his protection, verses 7 to 10. So obviously David is the author, and uh, he faced numerous uh, threats throughout his life. There's no marker in the text that gives us a hint as to the particular historic event that gave birth to this psalm, but uh, 
We can certainly link it to the fact that as king, there were always uh, conspiracies and plots to affect his fall, uh, whether internal to his kingdom or external in the surrounding uh, Gentile nation. So David was a target, uh, and he complains to God and asks God to deliver him. Uh, as I mentioned in verses 1 to 6, he prays for God to protect him. Begins by saying, God, listen to my complaint. I remind you, as I think it's very important, there's nothing at all wrong with complaining to God. That's what David is doing. Uh, but we need to be very careful about responding improperly to uh, our complaints. Uh, but the specifics of the prayer follow. He asks God to guard him, protect him from the dread of the enemy. This is really a figure of speech referencing what they can do to him. Uh, and the parallel uh, of protection is uh, hide me. Hide me from, from their plots and their uh, evil scheming. Uh, it's a measure of this in Psalm 57, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in thee, and in the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. In a spiritual sense, we all can grasp, I think, a measure of that as Oklahomans when it's springtime, there's always storms that come and uh, the incessant pres presence of uh, the weathermen telling us to do this and that and uh, until the destruction passes by. Uh, men who wage war against uh, God's people, again, sometimes we have to uh, wait for God until uh, their effects pass over us. Um, it's interesting that Psalm 57.1 that I, I just read, uh, the historic occasion there was David is uh, hiding in a cave and Saul is in that cave. You know, imagine, I mean, I mean, the danger was just right there for David. Because Saul was trying to hunt him down and kill him. So, you think about it. Errant sneeze. Untimely cough. Uh, but God protects his own. Great promise of deliverance. He always protects his own. Uh, the danger is uh, specific in verses 2 to 6, and it's clear that uh, the major uh, portion of the threats that face uh, David are from, are from words. It's very interesting. Remember the refrain we used to shout? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, words can be very painful. And uh, there's a conspiracy against uh, David uh, so that men are devising... Uh, rumors and innuendo and slander uh, to uh, unseat him. Uh, they meet in secret to affect uh, unrest and lawlessness. And again, their weapons are words. Notice verse 3. Who have sharpened their tongue like a sword and aimed bitter speech as their arrow. Notice the point of the figures of speech. A tongue is sharpened, obviously figurative language, but it's reference to a sword that words would cut him. Bitter words. Um, 
aimed as arrows. So their, their words are weaponized. Remember that historic movie? I've forgotten the title, but I think it's Braveheart or some such, but again, English soldiers have invaded Scotland. The lines are drawn and uh, the English begin their, their assault with a massive artillery attack from, from arrows. I mean, I can still see in my own mind the English general or prince, whoever he was, uh, arrows loose. And then you look at the camera goes to the sky and say, oh my goodness, the sun is almost darkened from the arrows. And the Scottish soldiers kind uh, of hide under their uh, shields. Some have uh, protection and some don't. And so there's a massive artillery assault in words uh, upon David. Um, notice a similar vein, Psalm 55, uh, in verse 21. Uh, this is a, another particular event in David's life where someone that was very close to him betrayed him. And notice what David says of him. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, and yet they were drawn swords. The danger of words. David's case now, in this psalm, their words are weaponized against him. And as the soldier would sharpen his sword before battle, uh, they, would, they would sharpen their tongues before they spoke against David. And from the simile of sword, David moves to the archer who strings his bow and draws an arrow. Uh, literally, the Hebrew text is, they bend the bow and their arrow is bitter speech. And they have no fear of their actions, and they shoot to destroy. Uh, I mean, there's a distant echo of this in the New Testament, James chapter 3, verse 8, where James says uh, that the tongue can sometimes be a deadly poison. Psalm 140, verse 3. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. So words can never hurt me. No, words, words can be very powerful uh, weapons. So these men are snakes who uh, inject uh, venom into their words to bite for terrible effect upon David. Uh, I remember decades ago going to the field in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I was always terrified of rattlesnakes. Um, go out in the fields to go hunting. Uh, I'm always grateful that it's fall and very cold because the snakes have retreated to their dens or wherever snakes go when it turns wintertime. Not quite as fearful. But when I'm out there marching around in summer, maybe getting something ready, cutting some limbs down, Back of my mind, the danger of snakes. What David is facing. And if you will, words, words can incapacitate. Uh, in verse 5, they hold fast to themselves an evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who can see them? So they're very hardened in their purpose. Uh, 
Um, the literal reading, uh, evil purpose, is literally evil word in the Hebrew Bible. So even worse, they bolster one another to encourage the conspiracy. They, they talk of setting uh, traps in secret, and their plots are ingenious, uh, and their depraved hearts uh, deep and wide so that they are incapable of anything. Capable, pardon me, of anything. Uh, they're inventive, creative, and relentless. And their conflict is protracted against David. They keep coming and coming and coming. And obviously there's an application in our present world to uh, the Christian. There's always a propaganda offensive uh, against the scriptures, against... Uh, um, the very presence of God, uh, to obviously deny him, uh, to ridicule him. I mean, I rem even remember as an undergraduate, the university, listening to some lecture about, I mean, how, how can Christians be so silly believing that God would come? Uh, that's, that's so silly. One of the great blessings of COVID was that parents became aware of the corruption of curricula, the corruption of uh, libraries, and the corruption of teachers, targeted against uh, uh, children more often than not to uh, affect their ruin with words and pictures. Absolutely incredible. A war that's relentless and protracted. Uh, even more intense at the college and university level, uh, because generally uh, speaking, uh, we hold sometimes professors in very high regard. Remember a dear friend of mine who, uh, like me, came, he went to his hometown to start a church. And I oftentimes kind of smile because starting, starting a church from scratch in Oklahoma is difficult, but this guy goes to New Jersey, gee, at Christmas. Much like the burned over district, go to New Jersey to start a church. But he was faithful, taught the scriptures. Uh, one of his daughters went to the university and her, her heart was uh, converted uh, from the hope of Jesus to effect the deliverance and restoration to the hope of big government. She became an advocate for big government. My, how's that working out? That's always, Really, really. And I know government has lots of answers, but also has lots of destructive power. Particularly when it's infused with men and women who, uh, who oppose God, who oppose trusting and looking to Him and waiting upon Him, walking by faith, I had a very good friend of mine, he was a professor in a graduate school, uh, who eventually left because uh, Christian professors were always stabbing him in the back. I always smile at that. Uh, how would they do that? Well, what does it mean to stab someone in the back? Well, it's to spin words about them, not in their presence, to set traps, uh, to trigger an ambush. It's very interesting. He also wanted to tell me, he said those very professors would try to recruit their students uh, to Rome. 
I thought, wow. Certainly wasn't in their mandate as professors, but to recruit to Rome. But in the spiritual world, these men infiltrate denominations and co-opt their traditions and language uh, to evil. Uh, I'm always amazed when you study church history, which is an important thing to do. Uh, Progressives or whatever adjective you want to use to describe them don't start their own churches, do they? They go into existing churches to infect them with poisonous words. And they're quite successful at it. They've certainly have been very successful in some denominations. I was reading the other day that the PCUSA amended its constitution to change the definition of marriage to just two people. A total overturning, I might add, of God's work in the book of Genesis and the blessing of the first marriage. Total overturning. Two people or a man and a woman? Think about it. Now, I mean, I get that in a secular university class. In a church, in a denomination, astounding. But that's the way snakes work. Always at work. And they come with uh, smooth words. And uh, all they ask for is latitude and leniency. But with their smooth words, it's really a direct attack upon God's Word, Scripture. Another place we find this in the, ch in the church, uh, not just that it's rife today, the Apostle Paul confronted it. If you would, turn in your New Testament to Romans chapter 16. Uh, Paul needed deliverance from men within, within the church, the church at Rome. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 to 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings, notice words, contrary to the words which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. It's a warfare of words. David faced it in his day, Paul in his day, and we in our day. But God counters in verses 7 to 10 to teach us that he protects his own. Uh, the shift in the psalm is noteworthy because we transition from the fact that we can't win to the reality that we can't lose because God shoots back. I mean, sometimes we are defenseless, uh, but God, God takes up our defense and shoots back. Uh, notice the text, they have arrows. Uh, God has one arrow, and that's all he needs is one arrow. Verse 7, but God will shoot at them with an arrow.
Some of you I know are bow hunters, and I know you miss on occasion or whatever. Your arrow goes off course because of a puff of wind. I mean, I don't know. Uh, God never misses. When he bends his bow and shoots back, always hits his target. Uh, all he needs is one because his archery skills are impeccable. Um, hunters, whether it be bow hunters or rifle hunters, are always going to the range to perfect their skills. Maybe you have a practice range in your backyard or you go to the range near your home and you uh, zero your, uh, your rifle, practice with your arrow. Um, God doesn't need to practice. Perfect in all that he does, including his archery skills. And the arrow is again a reference to words. God has a creative word. He speaks and things happen. Uh, evil have words and God does too. It's a great reminder in the psalm as it transitions from defeat to the fact that God fights for us and he wins as our deliverance is in him. And so we read in uh, Psalm 64, verse, verse 8, so they will make him stumble, their own tongue is against him. But more importantly, the last phrase in verse 7, suddenly, suddenly they will be wounded. And God's word uh, make them stumble and fall. Uh, ironically, he turns their own tongues against them like a boomerang. The majesty of God. And the result is uh, that the conspirators retreat in horror, having seen God's actions. There's an application to this in Psalm 140, verses 9 to 11. As for the head of those who surround me, may the mischief of their lips cover them. May burning coals fall upon them. May they be cast into the fire, into the deep pits, which they cannot rise. May a slanderer not be established in the earth. May evil hunt the violent man speedily. The text, I think, is more properly continually. So yes, we are a hunted people as the children of faith. And so are they. God is hunting them continually. He is as relentless as they are. And the hunter becomes the hunted. It's a beautiful reminder of this uh, in the book of Esther. Uh, it's a book that has continual reminders of uh, the sovereignty of God. Uh, written in narrative form to teach the church that God is in control, always at work behind the scenes, affecting his purposes to protect his people. So the curtain on the great drama goes up and uh, the queen uh, doesn't respond to the emperor. I mean, I don't know. The emperor bids her to come and she doesn't come. 
Oh my goodness, all the advisors go to the emperor and say, we can't let this stand, buddy. Pretty soon they won't empty the trash or clean the dishes. I mean, we, you've got to take action, emperor, because we, we, when we speak, we want people to rise and do our bidding. And if you let the queen get away with this, whew, it'll get worse. Something to that effect. So he, he pronounces a decree that, well, she'll never come to see me again. And he says, well, I, I mean, I've got to have a queen, so it's got to be a beauty contest. So he sets up a number of beauty contests. I mean, I don't know. They're, maybe they're citywide and then countywide and then statewide and then uh, beauty contests for uh, Miss America and then Miss France and then uh, Miss Universe. Who wins the contest? Imagine of all the beautiful women that were all over the empire. It falls to Esther? Oh, just time and chance. It just was her lucky day. I don't believe in luck, as you know, because it's a denial of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. Esther wins the contest. Have you ever seen those contests on television? I mean, how do you pick? I mean, it's like everyone's beautiful. It falls to one. It's the way life works. Well, it fell to Esther just by happenstance. Really. We know that what's beginning to happen is that uh, the emperor has an evil advisor who wants to kill the Jews, the people of God, if you will, the church, the Old Testament. And uh, the evil advisor is Haman. And uh, Mordecai is uh, advising Esther, preparing her for the great battle that he knows that must happen to protect the church in the Old Testament. Tragically, Haman, the evil, evil man, has the ear of the king. Until one night, the king couldn't sleep. I don't know what he does. He, he does like you and I. We, he, maybe he counted sheep. Maybe he got up and did some push-ups. Well, this will wear me out. He could not sleep. So finally, he turns to his advisors and said, go to the great libraries and pull one of the books from the library and bring it to me, and I'll read about the goings-on in my kingdom, and it'll so bore me to tears, I'll fall to sleep. And they just pick a book. Random chance, right? No, they happened to pick a book, and the king begins to read, and he reads about Mordecai, how instrumental he was in saving the king's life. Just by chance. One, can you imagine the libraries? About all the history and what goings on in the empire? The mundane to the important? And his, his eyes fall upon the story of Mordecai. providence of God, the sovereignty of God working behind the scenes. So Haman hatches a plot to kill the Jews, and God is setting in motion a counteroffensive against Haman. And suddenly everything turns against Haman. He's building a gallows to hang Mordecai because Haman hates Mordecai, 
And guess who's going to be hung from the gallows? You got it. He is. Let's, uh, let's read Esther chapter 7, verse 10. It's a beautiful reminder of how God works to protect his own. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. It is, by the way, a forward looking to all who reject God and hate him, and who hate his only begotten son. There's a gallows being built. Chapter 9, verse 25. It came to pass the king's attention. He committed by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged in the gallows. So they just didn't go for uh, Haman. They went for all of his sons. It's a reminder that there is a sovereign in this world who's entirely able to keep and to protect his own. And to turn events and words to take care of his own. The beauty of our great God. The privilege of knowing him. He governs affairs in such a way that when men try to harm those that belong to him, he turns their devices against them. And part of uh, the effect is to cause men to reflect upon their plans to hurt the people of God and to make right choices to turn away from their tactics and strategy. It's very interesting that the word, uh, uh, the word slander uh, in the Hebrew Bible is from... Uh, the wisdom word group to make the right choices. It's a reminder they better make the right choices or God will come for them. Uh, his attention will awaken. He will begin to hunt continually as relentless as they are to hurt his people. A warning to be very careful of harming the people of God and harming their faith and turning God's word uh, into evil. Their considerations to understand the principles ironic uh, justice and to make the right choices by turning away from their folly. And their consideration is not, not in coming to faith, but in a warning to reckon that God will come for them in his own time and his own way, and it will not turn out well for them. Biblical illustration of this in a book we are studying in our Adult Sunday School class, book of Daniel. Turn to Daniel uh, chapter 8. Uh, Daniel is warning way in the future of a man who will come and use smooth words to harm the people of God. There is a description uh, in verse 25 of this man. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. He will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they are at ease. He even will oppose the prince of princes. Now notice, 
Notice the actions of God. This man is going to do great harm to God's people. But he will be broken without human agency. Oh, what is that? God will come for him and break him. Without human agency, God comes upon the scene, rescues his own. Uh, Daniel chapter uh, 11 and verse 45. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. We have help. Those who try to harm God's people do not. Worse, they have a hunter. His name is God, who will come for them and in his own time break them and cause them ruin. Conversely, in returning to the psalm, verse 10, the righteous man will rejoice in the Lord and praise him and will take refuge in him. David does this at the demise of Saul, who was hunting him relentlessly in the wilderness. As for God, his way is blameless, he writes in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. The word of the Lord is tested, but he is a shield to all who take refuge in him. He's that shield to protect uh, the user against uh, the arrows that pour down from the heavens, shot by the evil man to harm the church. God protects his own. And David's praising God for the demise of Saul who hunted him. Uh, Nahum, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Wow. The pursuer of God's people are now in pursuit by God. And he hunts them even into darkness, meaning there is no place whatsoever to hide. Our enemies are relentless with using smooth words in their propaganda to harm the people of God. And sometimes uh, uh, they appear to be successful, but uh, God is the ultimate successor to protect his own. And ultimately he wins. My favorite illustration of this from the Psalter is Psalm 91. I believe uh, it is uh, the psalm written by a soldier who faces all of the ugliness and vagaries of battle, the terrible loss of colleagues, and the disease that was so prominent in the ancient battlefield. But he confesses his hope is in God. Let me read to you Psalm 91 and verses 9 and 10. If you have made the Lord's my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. 
The word refuge, as you know, is used in the introduction to the Psalter, chapter 2, verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. A reference to the Messiah. Are blessed because they have their refuge in Prince Messiah. It's the only place of real safety from the propaganda offenses of this world. It's the only place of safety from the judgment of God, to be sure. And he makes us safe by his vicarious atonement and the irony of his victory in his own resurrection. Evil men uh, turned words against him and plots and taking him to court. Civil government uh, permitted his crucifixion. And he appeared to lose totally in his death. But he conquered the grave and was resurrected. One of the greatest pictures of irony in all the scripture. The world thought they were the victor when Christ was the victor and rose again from the grave. Meaning that his presence is the ultimate safe passage for each of us who know him in a personal way to this violent world. The Apostle Paul so writes at the end of 2 Timothy, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Apostle Paul transcending this world. The Jews and the Judaizers in particular and the liberties hunted him relentlessly and spun tales against him to get him to be thrown in jail and to be killed. Paul says, God will deliver me into, safely into his heavenly kingdom. He has safe passage through this world from the multitude of arrows shot against him. God was his refuge. God was Esther's refuge. God is our refuge. Question to you is, is he your refuge? If you found your safety in him. Because there is no safety from him, but there is every safety in him. The hope of the Christian, the place of safety from false religion, from all the recruiters of uh, the evil kingdom governed by Satan, how can we win? We win because God wins for us in his Son. Uh, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I uh, encourage you uh, to flee to him. Sue for peace. Confess your sin. Acknowledge him as uh, the place of safety from the judgment and the wrath of God because he took it upon himself uh, that you might find safety in him. And I trust you uh, uh, will flee to him soon because this is indeed a violent world, a place of great danger. But God is uh, always on duty to protect his own. And that is uh, the hope of uh, this church, that God protects us. Uh, and he is our deliverer. We've seen it in the life of Paul, Esther, countless times in the testimony of David and the Psalter. A great hope that we have, a hope that we should celebrate 
in this Advent season with hearts full of joy because of all that it means to know Christ, the only Redeemer of God's elect. And may that rich blessing defend you from this day forward. And may you go about your daily affairs in great joy because your protector is always on duty and is always by your side and will see you safely to your eternal home. What a great joy we have in our great faith.